Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we enter again into your word, we know that your word is like the rain and the snow that come down and water the earth. It does not go back empty, but it accomplishes the purposes for which you send it. So today, as the word has been read, even as we have sung it, even as we will pray it, we pray that it will bring back an abundant crop. In the precious name of Jesus, who is that word made flesh. Amen. I'm going to violate a basic preaching principle this morning. The basic preaching principle says that you build up and lead into an application. But I'm going to start with the application today and kind of preach backwards. They say that every good sermon or every good message ought to have an application, so I'm going to give you mine before we actually get to the text of Jonah chapter 2. And what I'm going to do is suggest something that you can do. In fact, I'm going to suggest not only can you do it, I want to suggest that you actually do do it this week. Now, I've had a few people already tell me that they've taken the application of a couple of weeks ago, which is to walk up to someone and in some way or another say, what can I pray for you? And that has worked with them. It has been an entry into their lives. Today, what I want to suggest you do is to find some time this week, early this week, take your Bible, get yourself a notebook or a pad of paper, a sheet of paper, and get yourself a pen or pencil, and then go and find a quiet place. And when you've got to that quiet place, then I want you just to pray this very simple prayer. I'll say the prayer a couple of times, because it's just only seven little words. But to pray this prayer, Lord, show me the truth about myself. Lord, show me the truth about myself. Seven simple little words. Now, what are you going to do when you've done that? You've got your... Bible, you've got a notebook, you've got a pen, and in front of you, you have the words, Lord, show me the truth about myself. Then what I'm going to suggest to you is sit there and wait for God to speak to you. Wait for God to answer that question. I'm suggesting that because I think when we pray that way, the answer will begin to come. Little by little, the Holy Spirit will show us our weaknesses, show us our faults, show us our mistakes, show us our bad attitudes, our foolish words, our pride, our arrogance, our need to be in control, our need to tell others what to do, our desire to have our own way, our anger, our bitterness, our lack of mercy, our lack of love, our lack of compassion. I mean, after all, you ask, Lord, show me the truth about myself. The truth may not be as nice as you expected. Now, I know from personal experience that if you wait long enough, the Lord will always reveal the truth to you. It's hard to do this because sometimes if we don't go first and say, Lord, show me the truth about myself, that God will actually force the issue to show you the truth about yourself. Sometimes God will put you into a place or a situation where you have to actually face the consequences 
of your own stupid choices. Now that's a truth that Jonah had to learn the hard way. In Jonah chapter 2 that Jimmy shared with you before, the runaway prophet finds himself down in the belly of this great fish. Now I told you last week, sometimes we always wonder, what kind of fish was that? Was it a whale? I mean, what was it? Well, we sometimes fixate so much on the fish that we forget about the story. We don't know what kind of fish it was, so get over that. Don't bother with that. But we do know that the Lord appointed this fish to swallow Jonah alive. It was a divine miracle that the fish showed up at just the right place, at just the right time, with just the right appetite, I guess we could say, to swallow Jonah, but to swallow him and not to munch around on him, not to kill him, not to maim him. Now I want to ask this question. What do you imagine it was like inside the belly of that great fish? What do you think being inside that great fish was like? be dark, wouldn't it? You probably couldn't move much. I don't know how big this fish was. I don't know how big his belly was. Some of you would fit in there better than some of us. The fish is swimming constantly, however a fish swims. Salt water is washing all around you. What Jimmy read before, seaweed was wrapped all around you. And then there's probably other stuff he swallowed that's kind of bumping into you. And I have a sneaking feeling that the inside of a fish really stinks. Just my guess. Plus, it's probably greasy, it's probably slippery, and if you're in the belly of the fish, he's trying to digest you. Bargle, 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 all that stuff is working on you. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 then says, from inside the fish, in that smelly capsule, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. While he's in there, he composes this beautiful little prayer. It's actually in the form of a psalm, and we might call it Jonah's psalm. And what I want to do is look at Jonah's psalm this morning and suggest a few things that are in there. Here's the very first thing we think about Jonah's psalm. He cries to the Lord for help. Now again, it says, in my distress. Well, yeah, you ever been, how many people here have been swallowed by fish? Okay, nobody. There are actually historical accounts of people who've been swallowed by a large fish and then they got out. They were never the same again. That's why I was asking whether some of you had been swallowed by one. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord, remember, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D from last week, Yahweh. That's who he cried out to, not little G God, but to the big G God. And he, the Lord, answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help and you listened to my cry. What Jonah knows is that if God doesn't save him, He's never getting out of that fish alive. Here's the second thing this psalm tells us. He confesses that God put him where he is. Verse 3, you hurled me into the deep. He's talking about God. God, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. Now, he's not blaming the sailors for saying, 
overboard. He's not blaming the storm, which was raging tempestuously. I think that was the word in our text last week. Nor does he blame this big fish who swallowed him whole. Jonah sees that behind the ship, behind the sailors, behind the storm, behind the casting of lots, the shaking of dice, beyond and behind the raging of the sea, behind the fish, behind all of it, stands the Lord of the universe. Jonah, well, he probably can't bow, but in the belly of that fish, he's kind of bowing before the Lord, and he's saying, I'm here because you put me here. I don't know about you, but that is a great advance spiritually when you can actually stop blaming other people about your problem. Jonah knows he needs the answer to the Lord alone. It's not anybody else's problem that he's there. It was his own stinking resistance to God's call that put him where he was. Here's the third thing in Jonah's song. He feels like he's going to die in the great fish. I think I'd have learned that, thought about that early on. <laughs> I, it, it's almost enough to not make me want to go ever in the ocean again. I remember we took our daughter to a movie when she turned, I don't know, about six or seven. We were living in Hong Kong where we used to swim in the beaches. We took her to see Jaws. <laughs> Afterwards, we took her out to her favorite restaurant, and she looked at the menu, and she said, I think fish is out of the question. <laughs> our kid said, Dad, what were you thinking? We swim where there are sharks, and then you take us to see Jaws. Well, it, it, you learn pretty early on, like Jonah, you're probably going to die in there. It says, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head. I don't know if any of you ever swum in the ocean, you know, where sometimes there'll be stuff in the water that bumps you, or you get, you're swimming, and all of a sudden you've got seaweed wrapped around your arm, or you, you've got a stray jellyfish on you. Yeah, there's just no way out of this situation. I can't think of a, a worse situation than being in a fish's belly who's trying to digest you so he can eliminate you. I mean, apart from God, he's Sunday lunch for a big fish, and there's nothing he can do about it. He is not MacGyver. He's not in there, you know, with tools that he can, you know, the Swiss Army knife or anything like that. Here's number four. He remembers that the Lord is his only hope. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Up to this point, I would suggest to you that Jonah, who was a prophet, has not been acting like a true believer. But we finally get to chapter 2, here at verse 7, Jonah finally starts acting like who he's supposed to be. After all of his running away, after all of his disobedience, after all of his prodigality, if there is such a word, after all his self-centered living, God now has Jonah's undivided attention. Has God ever had to put you in a situation to get your undivided attention? attention. You know, for some people, flat on your back in a hospital, after you're tired of counting how many holes there are 
in the ceiling tiles. God has got you right where he wants you. And God will do whatever it takes to get you to a place where we remember him. Sometimes it's a big calamity. Sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes it's a loss. Sometimes it's repeated business failures. Sometimes it's heartbreak. But whatever it takes to get us down on our knees is good for our spiritual growth. I mean, what Jonah was saying here is, Lord, I've been running from you for a long time, but I got to tell you, you got my full attention now. Here's number five. He vows to serve the Lord. Verse nine. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I mean, he is saying, I'm changing my tune. I am now going to make a promise, and I will make good on this promise. Now, if you track through this chapter so far, and you track through Jonah's psalm this far, you begin to notice some spiritual progress. First of all, he acknowledges that God put him where he is. Second of all, he acknowledges that it's God's discipline that put him there. Third, he thinks he's going to die. And fourth, he finally remembers the Lord, and it's only then and only then that he says, I will vow to serve the Lord. He comes to a great conclusion then in verse 10. Did you catch that great conclusion? Salvation comes from the Lord. Or in the ESV, salvation is from the Lord. You know, that's the hardest lesson for all of us to learn. I mean, salvation starts with God, salvation ends with God. Some of us struggle with that concept our entire lives. I, I'm thoroughly convinced that there are some people who are in church Sunday after Sunday who, who have to learn that over and over and over again, that salvation starts with God, ends with God, we got nothing to do with it. And I'm also convinced that there are probably people sitting in churches Sunday after Sunday all over this world who never, ever get that. There is no salvation. There is no deliverance. There is no getting better until we realize that if God doesn't save us, if God doesn't do it, we won't get saved. It won't get done. I'm reading through this story again. I'm thinking, you know, that's the advantage of being in the belly of a big fish. Do you suppose that would clear your mind a little bit? <laughs> would you think you're in the belly of the big fish? Do you think you'd start thinking about what matters most? I don't want to offend any of you, but I think that some of you might actually improve spiritually if we could put you in the belly of a big fish for a few days. Or if we can't find a big enough fish, maybe it would improve any of us spiritually if we could just be put in a place where there wouldn't be any television, radio, internet, iPods, cell phones, iPads. Might be a good place to be. Maybe then we could actually hear God. See, in that terrifying darkness of that big fish, Jonah suddenly realized the folly of fighting God. There was a play on Broadway a number of years ago. I think it was called, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. It's kind of like when you got a little kid. You know, he wants to fight. You just put your hand on his head. You just hold him out there. 
He's swinging like crazy, but he's not getting anywhere close. Some of us think we're going to duke it out with the Almighty. And God just kind of like... <laughs> Your arms are too short to box with God, and besides, every time you ever try it, and take it from me, if you ever try to fight with God, God always wins. Now, what do we know so far? What do we know so far about Jonah? I want to wrap up today's message with a few observations about this journey because I think they apply to us. Here's observation number one. Even though or although Jonah was a prophet, it had been a long time since he had honestly talked with God. Now, I don't want to criticize Jonah. I mean, it's easy to say, look, this is a prophet. He's a man who speaks for God. He's a pastor. He's a church worker. And it had been a long time since he ever prayed. Let's move it a little bit closer to home. It's amazing sometimes to me. It's frightening sometimes to me how easy it is for church people to go through long periods of life without ever talking to God. It is entirely possible to come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and the only prayer is the prayer that the pastor says that you kind of nod in agreement with and say amen. It was somewhat done intentionally today that we all started together by praying. We're going to pray again, although we're going to sing a prayer, and what we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer this morning. But you know, it's pretty easy to go all week without ever communicating or talking honestly with God. I mean, we might not pray over a single meal all week, might never say a prayer all week, then we come back. What do they say? Seven days without talking to God makes one week. Spelled W-E-A-K. Now, why do you suppose Jonah, after a period of not praying to God, suddenly started praying? Well, your, your answer is, well, because he's in a giant big fish. He doesn't know what's going to happen. I'm going to suggest something else. It's because he had nothing else to do. I, he didn't have his iPad. He couldn't text anybody with his iPhone. He didn't pop in his earbuds so that he could listen to iTunes. See, without the regular distractions of life, Jonah focused on the Lord. Now, I've had people for years as a pastor who've said something to me like this. He said, you know, Pastor, I heard you say today that God, when God spoke to you this last week, or God said to you, I'm wondering, why doesn't God ever speak to me? I want to ask you to raise your hands if you've ever wondered. I mean, gosh, Pastor says, I wonder why he never talks to me. Well, you know, the answer is, um, he speaks to you all the time. But some of you won't slow down long enough to listen. God is talking to you all the time, but some of you are too busy to hear what he has to say. God is speaking to you all the time. Some of you won't turn off the television to let him hear you. See, the loud clamor of our life, we all live in a very loud place. It, constant pressure to get things done. We've got constant pressure to meet goals. We've got to check off all the items on our to-do list. 
which is why some of us need a to-don't list, stuff we're not going to to-don't anymore. All of it does what? It conspires to keep us from hearing that still, small voice of God. Where is the best place for you to be to hear the still, small voice of God? Is there a place where you can get alone with God with no distractions? And maybe pray that simple little prayer, Lord, show me the truth about myself. See, God knows how to speak to us. He certainly knows how to get our attention. Now, I, I can imagine few things worse than spending uh, three days and three nights in an all-expense big fish's belly. But I also think that it's better to be in the fish talking to God than it is to be on dry land bragging about your next set of plans. I mean, it's a good thing to be desperate if desperation turns your heart to the Lord. You pray inside this big fish because if God doesn't do something, you're going to die there. But notice that it's not that the big fish is inherently more dangerous than, let's say, living in a luxury suite in a high-rise hotel. You can get in trouble anywhere. I mean, some of you, I know that. It doesn't take a big fish to get you, get you into trouble. You can be in trouble at, out of the Four States Fair, huh, Jimmy? You can get in trouble out there. It doesn't make it just where you are. I mean, an earthquake can strike. A tornado can come. Hurricane blows through. A car can veer off the road. Catastrophe can strike at any time. You could be singing one moment and having a stroke the next. I mean, nobody is immune to trouble. There is nowhere on earth where you can be truly free from heartbreak or sadness or disease or danger or death. But here's the second thing we know from this story. God had to stop Jonah in his tracks in order to get his attention. I hope you can notice the progression. Let's just think back in the story. How did this happen? Chapter 1, Jonah acts and keeps messing things up. He's going down. Remember, down to Joppa, down the boat, down to take a nap, or down into the water, down into the fish. Chapter 2, Jonah prays and things start going up again. I mean, one of our greatest problems is slowing down enough just to hear God's voice. But God... Sometimes that's to stop us in our tracks and get our attention. Here's the third thing. God delights to deliver his people from impossible situations. I don't know about you, but three days, three nights in the belly of a big fish seems pretty impossible to me. And even after Jonah gets right with God, guess what? He's still inside the fish. He says, Lord, you put me here. This is where I'm supposed to be. It's a nasty place. But I'm never getting out of here on my own. So God works out an amazing deliverance. I love this last verse. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The same Lord who appointed the fish now tells the fish to let him go. Now, by the way, I checked out the Hebrew word that's translated into English, vomit. You know what, it, what the Hebrew literally means? Vomit. That's exactly <laughs> what it means. What a great translation. Now, anybody here ever hear of projectile vomiting? 
Okay, you know what projectile vomiting? This is what happens here. Jonah is about to take a ride on the regurgitron. I mean, one moment he is wedged in the belly of the fish, and the next moment he is flying through the air. The next moment he lands on the shore covered with shrimp cocktail. I mean, all of this is meant to do what? To teach him and us what? That salvation is from the Lord. That's what, you know, we, it sounds funny, but this is God's way of saying, you see who did this? You listen to many commercials. I, I, I think about the Motel 6 commercials. Uh, their little tagline is, we'll leave the lights on for you. Guess what? The lights are always on at the Father's house. The door is always open in the Father's house. The Father is always standing there looking for prodigals to come back. And he doesn't say to us, clean up first. He just says, come on home. We can't wait to see you again. He doesn't say to any of us, clean up your act. He doesn't say to any of us, prove that you're worthy because no one, I don't care how clean you are, I don't care whether you got a suit and tie or a full tuxedo when you ride the regurgitron out onto the beach. Doesn't make any difference. He just said, if you're tired of living in the far off country, if you're tired of being in the belly of the whale, if you're tired of running away, if you're ready to come on home, hey, the light is always on for you. The front door is always open. But what's the hardest part about coming home? Some of you that have been prodigals in your life, that have wandered away for a period of time. I'm not sure, maybe you, maybe you wandered away from the Lord. Maybe you wandered away from some family responsibilities for a while. Maybe you wandered away from your children. I, I don't care what it was, but what's the hardest part about coming home? I, I'm going to demonstrate the hardest part of coming home. It's taking the first step. It's sucking it up and being a man, being a woman, and taking the first step. Why are prodigals sometimes so scared to take that first step? It's because I don't think they know what waits for them on the other end of the journey. They may be a little afraid. What if I decide to go home and there's no one there to greet me? What if I go home and nobody's happy to see me? What if I go home and everybody hates me and they yell at me and they curse me and they tell me to get out of town and leave us alone? Well, people who have a hard time taking that first step sometimes don't understand that Jesus has paved the way all the way back home in his own blood. I mean, his death, Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection is so complete that nothing can be added to the value of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. That's why when Jesus spoke about himself, he called his own resurrection. Listen, to this. this is from Matthew 12, 39 to 40. Jesus called his own resurrection the sign of the prophet Jonah. Isn't that interesting? Jesus talks about his own resurrection as the sign of the prophet Jonah. He goes on and says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, even so Jesus was in the heart of the earth. And as Jonah came out of the fish, even so Jesus comes out of the realm of death. 
See, the story of Jonah isn't just the story of Jonah that sits plopped right here in our scriptures. It's in the Old Testament, and so the story of Jonah is pointing forward. What's it pointing to? The story of Jonah is pointing to Jesus. And when you get to the story of Jesus, what's Jesus pointing us to? Jesus is telling us how far God will go on behalf of guilty sinners. I mean, how far did God go? He sent his son to the worst place you could think of. It's called planet Earth. And on planet Earth, he sent him to the bloody cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And out of that shame, out of that cross, he fashioned our salvation. And because he has worked salvation, what? Now the door to heaven has been thrown wide open. The light's always on in heaven. The door is always open for sinners, for prodigals who want to come back. Now all the reluctant Jonas of this world can find their way home again. We're going to sing Amazing Grace this morning. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I wonder if we shouldn't change the words to that song sometime to get the full impact. In fact, I found a song this morning, and um, I don't know whether it's ever singable, Gwen, or it's probably something a soloist should do, but I found a song this morning on YouTube that's actually called Outrageous Grace. It's wonderful. But what if we would sing, Outrageous Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I say that because the grace of God is more than amazing. It is absolutely outrageous. Now, why is God's grace so outrageous? It's because it welcomes the worst sinners back into the courts of heaven. It even makes a way for super religious people to be forgiven of all of their sins. And for the rebel who today languishes in a far country, feeling alone and forgotten, God's grace, his outrageous grace, still reaches out to those people and said, friend, Jesus has paid the price. When you're ready, the light's on, the door's open, and you can come home to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be perfect. Because if we did, there's not a person in this entire world that would qualify. We thank you that we don't even have to scrape off the dirt of our own foolish, silly mistakes. We couldn't get ourselves clean even if we tried. All we have to do is turn and to come home. And Lord Jesus, you are the friend of sinners. And we're so glad because you are the friend, because we are the sinners. Thank you, Lord, for this story, because if Jonah can get a second chance, there's hope for all of us. Give us grace to come and the courage to take the first step. In Jesus' name, amen.